0: Hi, and welcome to the Mindful Movement Podcast with me, Erica Webb of Erica Webb Yoga and Pilates. In this podcast, I, along with my guests, will explore what it means to move as an act of self-kindness and self-discovery we'll look at the ways movement, mindset and mindfulness support us to be and do the things we so desire in the world. I truly believe that movement has the ability to expand our capacity to show up for the things that are important to us. And I'm here to help you embrace the idea of movement as a powerful tool for wellness, rather than just another thing you think you should be doing. I'm thrilled you're here. Let's do this. Hello there, and welcome to this episode of the Mindful Movement Podcast. So, in this podcast, what I'm going to be doing is talking to some guests about the way that movement sort of shows up in their world and how it helps them to be the person that they want to be and do the things that they want to do in the world. And I'm also going to share just ideas that I have as a movement professional around how movement can help us be kinder to ourselves and to just learn more about who we are as people. But what I thought I would do today is to answer the questions that I will be asking of my guests because I thought that could be a little bit of fun and it will help to get it will help you get to know me and give you an idea of what's to come from our guests as well. I've got a whole bunch of really awesome people lined up and I know you're going to love it. So the first question that I'm going to be asking my guests is just for them to tell me a bit about who they are and the role that movement plays in their life. So Some of you listening probably know me really well, others perhaps not at all. So my name, as you know, is Erica, and I haven't always been a mover. When I was younger, I very much did not fit into the sporting world. I really didn't have an awful lot of skill. I could run pretty quick, and I was always quite an athletic-looking child, but I didn't have a competitive bone really in my body, and I found competitive sports – just didn't suit my personality at all. I still don't understand the rules of most organized sport and it just wasn't, I didn't feel like I fit in. I remember really clearly not being thrown the ball and feeling just very awkward all the time. And so movement really didn't play a massive role in my life until I was probably in my 20s. I think that I spent a lot of my time as a younger person very much feeling like I didn't fit in anywhere really. I was a pretty happy kid, but we moved from Canada to Australia when I was six and I remember so clearly being picked on for my accent and I think looking back that it was a kind kind of picking on it wasn't you know I wasn't taunted but you know, I, ju- I very much understood that I didn't understand the ways of Australia. I didn't understand, you know, what was expected of me. And a lot of the things that people talked about, I just didn't get, I didn't understand at all what they were talking about because they were things that only made sense if you'd grown up around here. And I hadn't. And so, you know, I had this backdrop of, of feeling like I needed to fit in, but really not understanding how. And, you not fitting in where I'd come from either because I was only young. I was only six. And so, you know, I didn't have a really strong connection with anywhere. And so I think that backdrop really sort of set the scene in a lot of ways of perhaps just not really sure, being sure where my place was. And, you know, I'm really pleased that we moved to Australia. It's been an amazing place to grow up and an amazing place to make a life. Um And I know my mum and dad will listen to this, so I want to make that really clear. I'm so thrilled we're here. (laughs) But, um, you know, it's an interesting thing to reflect back on and just realise that some of these things really make a massive difference to the way that we perceive ourselves and the way that we kind of move around in the world. And so as a child and teenager, um, I think I spent a lot of time just trying to figure out how to fit in. I was very much um, an outlier in a lot of ways people liked me, but I wasn't, you know, one of the popular people. Likewise, I just kind of flew under the radar quite a bit of the time. And then when I finished school, I headed off to university and I made a few little twisting turns on the path. I actually started my university career as a criminal justice administration major and then decided I would be a lawyer. And, uh, you know, lots of twists and turns. I ended up with a Degree in behavioral science, which is basically a psychology degree, and then went out into the world. And in my corporate career, I realized very quickly that I was really sensitive in that context. I found it very hard to navigate my way around other people's stuff. And that, I think, is when I realized the importance of a physical practice. So I can remember so, so clearly, like it was yesterday, even though I'm sure it was like 15 years ago, this whole whole body really experience of sort of trying to deal with the environment of a corporate world And it was a very physical response on my part. I found it really physically draining to be in that environment. And I think it was around that same time that I started yoga. And it was in the yoga room. It was in a gym, actually, that I first started really doing yoga classes. And it was there that I really recognized that in that immersion of just moving my body and getting curious about what I was doing and how it felt, that it was really the time when I felt unburdened by everything else that was going on around me. It was the only time really, I think, where I felt like other people's stuff didn't affect me and where I could really just focus on understanding how I felt. And I'm not even sure that I sort of took it to that extent straight away but it was probably the time where I felt the most peaceful, the most unencumbered and I surprised myself, I think, in my strength and capacity to move because I hadn't been a particularly you know, skilled mover in the past. I actually was a really quite a clumsy person. I was known in my teen years as being that person that would always find a pole in the middle of nowhere and walk directly into it, even though I had my eyes wide open. And so I think I sort of stunned myself a little bit that I could actually do this thing called yoga. And fast forward a few years, I said to my teacher at the time – I wish I could spend my whole day doing this. And she said, oh, well, you should be a teacher. And that thought had never crossed my mind because I really had my sights set on a particular type of career and a particular type of credential, I suppose, for lack of a better word. I wanted to be a professional. I wanted to follow a certain path. And I believed that that meant something about who I was. But a few years sort of into to my corporate life, I realized that I just couldn't stay there. That just was not going to work for me. And that seed that my yoga teacher had planted about, you know, well, you should be a teacher, it went from being something that I laughed about to being something that I felt I had no choice but to do. And so, I. Signed up to become a yoga teacher, and partway through my teacher training, I realized that I was doing myself a disservice staying in the corporate world, and I quit pretty much on the spot when I made that when I had that realization, and that was a massive turning point for me because it was probably the first time that I really made. Well, actually, it wasn't the first time. I made a few other pretty significant calls in my life. not least of which was dropping out of law school. But I I think that one was really pivotal because it was a decision that stemmed from my understanding of my body and my being and myself from my practice, my physical practice, that really changed the course of my life in a, in a very significant way. I sort of turned my back on a really good income to become a yoga teacher. And that was sort of where that journey started. And you know there's been a lot of stuff in between then and now it was about i guess 12 years ago that i made that decision maybe maybe 11 something like that over a decade ago and in that time i've had two babies and i've run a business and you know a lot of life has happened in the interim but the thing that hasn't changed is that i still find The physical element of moving and of sensing what I can be present with in my own body to be the most grounding thing that I have access to. There is no other way for me to kind of like navigate life, I don't think, rather than being in touch with the way that I feel. And it's been a very interesting journey as a mum, I think, because when I had my babies, I really didn't cope very well at all. Anyone who knew me at the time (laughs) probably was witness to that, although I think some people possibly didn't even realise how deeply I fell into a hole. And there was so much self-loathing, so much self-hatred, and so much lack of faith in my own capacity to do this thing, you know, called motherhood. And I really lost a lot of trust in myself, in my body, in my capacity just to be the person that I wanted to be. I felt very much like I had become some sort of horrible monster that didn't really reflect who I thought I was. And I remember very clearly one day sitting in my car with both of my kids in the back and they are just two years apart. So they were really little at the time, and crying uncontrollably. And I had this moment where I thought, I can't get out of this car. I cannot load these kids out of this car and deal with another afternoon of feeling like this. And I sat in this seat and I just cried. And I think my mum must have had some sort of sixth sense and called me and sent, I think maybe she sent my dad over to, to check on me. And it was such a, a pivotal moment because as I sat there, the words that kept going through my head were You know, why are you like this? I I hate you. And that was a really rough thing to recognize was how much self-hatred I had sort of stored up inside of me. And I really feel like there was a lot that, you know, happened from there to pull me out of that space and to set my feet much more firmly on the ground and to come to a place where I could be kind to myself again. And part of that was help from other people. And part of it was learning to really listen to myself because this is the thing that I think movement gives us a beautiful doorway into is, you know, often we really see things and hear things and understand things through a lens of what we believe we know. And these are stories, right? Like we believe that we know so many things. And it might be that, you know, I always told myself that I'm tired and that was a really true story at the time, but I never let it go. And I would talk all the time about how tired I was and it became this loop and it became so ingrained in who I was that I couldn't even see past that belief. It just became a fact. And there was never any opportunity really to check in and say, well, is this still true? And so that, I think, was a massive part of my recovery from self-hatred, was that capacity to sort of take a step back and recognize what was true in the moment. And it wasn't always what I expected. And not only to be present with what was true, but then also developing a willingness to respond to that, because so often we will recognize what is true, we'll see it, and we'll go, "Mm mm-mm. I'm not going to do anything with that. I'm going to go in this direction instead because other people need me or it's the expectation or whatever it is. We have all these reasons why we can't follow the route of kindness towards towards ourselves because there's all these other things we need to do. And that that sort of journey of both being open to seeing the truth of what was and then responding in the direction of kindness, I think ultimately that was the thing that really pulled me back. And it's an ongoing process, let's be honest. There are days still where I find that little voice in my head saying really not nice things about me. But now I have the space and the compassion and the capacity to take a step back and question, is that really true? And if that is what the voice is telling me, if that is what I am sort of stuck in, what does that mean about what I need to do next? Where am I not being nice to myself? What, you know, what do I need to change that? Thought. <laughs> and sometimes it's simple and you know, it's just like, well, don't believe it and and go find something else to do. And other times it's like, right, you are so overwhelmed, you are so run down. What you really need is a break and, you know, to go and read a book or whatever it is. And so, you know, there's there's this whole well, there's a whole story in that. But movement for me has very much been more that connection of awareness and using that to my advantage rather than using it as a way to punish myself, which is what I used to do. And so I find movement as my refuge. Movement is the place where when everything else feels confusing, I can just be in movement, be in my body. And it's kind of like a a mindfulness technique, right? Like we can just be in the movement and notice all of the stuff that is happening because, you know, our bodies are endlessly fascinating. If we pay attention to all of the automatic things that go on just to keep us upright, to keep us stable, to keep us moving, it is fascinating. And so that, that ability to be curious and to just notice what is going on has been such a gift. So that's a little bit about, you know, my journey. And I guess part of the thing that I left out there is that in the interim, um, in the meantime, in, you know, since since that yoga teacher training uh, nearly well, over a decade ago, I've taught ever since. And I- went on to also become one of the first somatic exercise coaches in Australia. My teacher is an amazing woman Lisa Peterson from Ireland and she came out a few years in a row and I trained up to be a somatic exercise coach under her tutelage. And that perhaps was, you know, just as transformative as that initial Training that I did to become a yoga teacher because that was really where I understood more of the subtleties and where I gave myself permission to pay attention to them. Because up until then, I think, you know, I was a little bit more of a chaser of big things. I, you know, wanted to do the fancy poses and I could do them because I had the strength and flexibility to make them happen. And then suddenly I kind of realized that they didn't really necessarily always make me feel that good. And this somatic practice brought me back into this whole idea of like, what do I need? What would help me in my body? And I also went on to do my mat Pilates certification. I decided I'd do my masters of writing while I had two young kids. I'm a little bit crazy in that respect. I love to always be consuming more information and learning more things. And that has been a massive backdrop to my whole life, really. Uh, But the the somatic exercise and the yoga and the Pilates have really given me the ability to help a lot of people too, to be able to kind of help them move outside of the stories, both the physical stories that kind of get stored in our nervous system and control the way that our muscles behave and the way that we respond. And to kind of like shift those stories in their mind as well of how do you be with kindness? How do you respond with kindness to what it is that is going on in your own body? So I feel like I've answered both of the questions that I'm going to be asking my guests because the second one was, you know, just how these ideas about movement as a form of self-care and kindness and how movement nurtures our capacity to, you know, show up in the world in the ways that we desire. I think I kind of covered that off. But to add on to that, I suppose the process of moving well and the process of being willing To move well, I think has also been really important. So, one of the things that has been a big kind of like punctuation point in this story for me was being willing to feel good. And that almost sounds a little crazy. Like, who wouldn't be willing to feel good, right? (laughs) But I absolutely 100% played a martyr role in my life for a very long time, a very, very long time. And it really wasn't until I was willing to not be the martyr, until I was willing to actually say, you know what, I want to feel good and I feel worthy of that. It wasn't until that point that, you know, I really could actually move in a way that that fostered that. Um, and there there's so much story wrapped up in that. And, um, you know, I spent a lot of years just feeling relentlessly anxious all of the time. And there was that whole piece of being okay with feeling good, being okay with not having overwhelm and anxiety and not being good enough form the bulk of my story. And so I think that that's something that has been really interesting to consider because I do wonder how many of us walk around feeling less than optimal in part because we haven't given ourselves permission to feel better than that. I'd love to know what you think about that idea. I think it's a little bit like, oh, could that be true? And if it is, what does that mean? And I don't have the answers to that. I'm not a psychologist, <laughs> and I would urge you if that brings anything up, to make sure that you seek you know the right support to talk that through. But for me, that was a huge piece, and in fact, I remember one, one uh, therapist that I spoke to at one point asked me outright, "Do you want to get rid of your anxiety?" And that question really caused me a, a big pause. And, you know, I thought, why is the answer not yes? Why is it not clearly, clearly yes? That doesn't make any sense. And so, you know, finding the the way into permission to feel good was a very long and interesting path. And I think it's one that I still... I'm just sorting through the final pieces. Although I, I hesitate to even say final, because the thing that I certainly find with this sort of mission towards self-kindness is that it is very much layered, a little bit like that, you know, idea of peeling back an onion. Uh, but you know, it's it's making a choice every single day to choose towards kindness as often as possible, and you know, I don't do that every single time. Sometimes I slip into choosing in the direction of making myself a martyr or, you know, wanting to prove a point, maybe even. But the thing that I think that is really cool with a movement practice and with a mindfulness practice and with a a practice that really asks me to be kind to myself, that the choices keep showing up. You know, they keep the, the opportunity to make a choice Actually, that's a better way to term it. The opportunity to make a choice repeats itself ad nauseum. We always get to choose again, every single time, every single moment. And so, recognizing that just because I'd made a different choice up until that moment didn't mean I couldn't choose again the next time in the direction of kindness. And then just kind of like get these little wins on the board, choosing in the direction of kindness more and more often. And, you know, now. I, I I like myself, you know, I think I'm pretty good and th- that would have caused me great shame to say that in not that long ago. And so, you know, I think that it's been a really interesting process and movement has been absolutely vital in all of that. And I'm so grateful for it. So, so grateful for it. And for me, movement isn't a modality, you know, It's not just yoga for me at all. Movement is much more all encompassing in my mind. And, you know, whether I'm lifting weights at the gym, going for a walk, doing my yoga or somatic exercise practice, doing Pilates, I find that the quality underlying them all is very similar for me, even though the quality of each. Activity might be quite different, Um, but always choosing the direction of self-kindness, which doesn't always mean the easy path. Sometimes, you know, the the choice in the direction of kindness is the one that actually feels harder. Um, But it's understanding what the kinder option is. And I think sometimes that's the harder thing to figure out because sometimes we think the kinder option would be you know, X, Y, and Z. But when we really get in underneath it and we start to question, is that kind or is that just a should? Is that just an expectation? Then we start to peel away the, you know, what what could be really true. So I hope that that is you know, giving you some food for thought. I hope that that kind of introduces you a little more to who I am and and why I do what I do. Um, I'm genuinely so thrilled that you're here with me and I can't thank you enough for listening in. I've got some, as I said, amazing people lined up to speak with, and I know you're going to love their interviews they're going to talk about much, you know, the same questions, but the content is going to be really different for each person. And for that, I am so grateful to talk to other people about their stories and to understand some other perspectives because, you know, that is so important and I can't wait. So thank you for being here. I will be back soon with another episode and I look forward to talking to you then. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Mindful Movement podcast. Just wanted to remind you to come on over and find me on Instagram and Facebook. You'll find me at Erica Yoga, and also online at EricaWebYoga.com.au. And I'd love to know what you thought of the podcast. Send me a message, share it with a friend, and I will talk to you again really soon.